Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Science of Sports podcast with Professor Ross Tucker and sports journalist Mike Finch. Coming up. Fitness is the ability of the organism to survive and thrive in response to stress. So we've obviously all got performance mindsets, but fitness is actually more than that. You probably get to a fitness ceiling and then you actually turn in the other direction and you start getting less fit as you do more training. Hey, a fit person will not see a spike in blood pressure in response to stress, even psychological stress. So during our last podcast that we did, uh, we were focused very much on detraining and the effects of not training and how it affects our fitness in the long and medium term. But uh, during that podcast, I asked Professor Ross Tucker about what is the definition of fitness. And I could see from his reaction across the table from me that uh, it was probably a much larger question than we could deal with in that particular podcast. So instead of uh, Deferring from that uh, question, we decided that this week we would actually discuss that very topic of what is fitness. Now, as you can imagine, uh, it is a very broad subject. There's lots of different uh, factors at play. There's lots of different activities of which how, how we can defend fitness. But we're going to try today to have a look at what fitness really means. So to start off, Ross, I want to ask you, we asked our Patreon members to give us their definition of, of fitness, but let's start off with your what your definition is, and maybe we can also share what some of our Patreon said. Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you theirs because when you asked it last week, my brain did that thing. Those of you who have Macs, you know when you get the little spinning wheel and it's like <laughs> you know the hard drives are trying to catch up to the command, but they can't quite get there. That's what mine That's did. That's my daily life. In response to your question. And so, so then as I was listening back to the podcast, I thought this might be quite a cool subject to explore. So I hopped on the interwebs and I searched for the definition of fitness and extremely unhelpfully, it says the state of being fit, which is one of the world's most useless definitions. Also one of the world's shortest podcasts. Yes, we would have <laughs> no, no troubles producing podcasts daily if that's all we ever did. It's like saying, what's the definition of water, a watery substance? It's just ridiculous. So then I thought, well, we've got these patrons who are thoughtful guys and women because they often comment and reply and engage on, on patron.com with us. So let me chuck it out to them and say, you send me your definitions of fitness. And we got maybe a dozen almost in a very short space. So the engagement was very cool. So I thought maybe I could go through some of those um, and then I'll give you mine, which is yeah. I, I try to de-academify mine. Is that even a word? Don't worry. If you do academify it, I'll be sure to uh, challenge you on that. You, there's many challenges. <laughs> it's, it's full of jargon, but we'll get there. So we got a few replies. So I just want to go through them. So Ian replied, he said, my definition of fitness is how fast or far you can go in a set time and then measure against the baseline. Good Thought, one. Thoughts, yeah. yeah. And you'll one. see, yeah. you'll see Simple, in a moment. Very there's, a, real. Yeah. there's a theme that's going to emerge here. Yeah. John McGibbon got in touch. He says, "My definition of fitness is following the care and maintenance manual for the human body," which is yeah, I suppose it's wide. Which which manual? Yeah. Yes, but but you know what he's saying. It's it's smart. Yeah. I yeah. quite enjoyed that one. Yeah. Steve B. Fitness is the ability to perform physical activity with minimal fatigue. Yes. And so now we've got to define fatigue. These are very good definitions. And then he said here, and this is important, and we will discuss this in this podcast, the level of fitness may be assessed by a variety of dynamic tests, but these generally measure only certain aspects of fitness and over certain periods of time, resulting in ambiguity. And then very astutely, Steve B. also says, some may say that mental state is a component of fitness, but perhaps more appropriate to wellness. So we'll bank that and get there because yep. most of you'll see most of what you've written in is going to inform our discussion. Pete Williams gets in touch. He says, to me, fitness means that my body and mind are in a condition sufficiently strong to enable me to live my life and participate in sporting activity to a level that gives me satisfaction and enables me to meet my personal goals. So that's pretty holistic and rounded. Pretty close to what I said eventually when my hard drives started working last week. <laughs> if 
you go back and listen to that. Um, interestingly, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday about it as well, and she was saying that over the course of her life, fitness has changed meaning because initially fitness meant how I looked. I'm yeah. fit because this is what I appear to be. And then fitness became, she she got this app called Zombie Apocalypse where you'd run with uh, earphones and the app would randomly tell you you're being chased by zombies so you have to speed up it was it sounded like the kind of thing that would help you do a fart leg interval session so then she said fitness is i've never heard of that app n- neither had i so then she said well as i got older fitness meant being fast enough to escape zombies mm. not literally and then subsequently i said fitness now just means general health and being able to do things that i want to be able to do without fatigue so that that was quite astute similar to yeah. pete uh mattia fenty uh said fitness is something people can do to keep a sound mind sound body so there's that mind thing again yeah. which is interesting holistic um he, interestingly he says that my brain automatically links it to a low volume moderate intensity training program so that's a that's fitness kind of like ian you know with time and distance endurance yeah. fitness Adrian Friedman, our lawyer friend, who's going to hopefully never have to represent us, but if we ever get in trouble, he's our guy. Fitness is the capacity to achieve a predefined goal. And then he then he actually sent a, I won't read all of it, but he subsequently, 10 months later, submitted something to say to clarify, as all legal minds do, if I may. <laughs> and this was good. For the general population, doctors have several tests, like walking upstairs for three minutes to see if a person is fit enough for general health. So that introduces us to a different kind of fitness. So far, it's been performance fitness. Now it's general health, which is true. Uh, these tests are non-negotiable because if a person fails them, we know he or she's not fit enough for basic human health. And then he goes on to say, fitness is simply the capacity to achieve the feat. If a person aims for a three-hour marathon and runs three or five, he's not fit enough for three. So that's a performance fitness again. Yeah. Um, a couple more and then I'll go on to mine uh, Jonathan Moniatis gets in touch I'd say fitness is the condition that enables you to perform a physical task at a level of optimal exertion I think of it as a destination reached from a series of healthy practices and measured by physical activity and then one other where was the, it was quite an amusing one uh Hugo Kerhove said, excellent question. I think in sports, it's a notion reflecting the complex makeup of factors you have to achieve a given level of performance. You see the theme here, right? Yeah. And we're going to agree with it and challenge it in a moment. Uh, Justin Hughes said, this was amusing, fitness is the ability to exercise and cool down enough so that I'm not still sweating after a shower. Yeah. Do you know this sensation? I know it well. It's, it's quite a good one. If you have an indoor session on a bike, you have to cool down before you have your shower. Yes. Otherwise, you're still sweating after your shower. Yeah, shower after the shower. <laughs> and then Carl Horan said, I think it can be specific to your main sport of interest. Yes, very good. I agree. For example, as a runner, I always use the distance I can run in an hour. Anything over eight miles means you're in a good place fitness-wise. You can tell we've got an endurance following. So those are some of yours. See, there's an interesting one. Before you get into your definition, the one that I liked the most about that was the one that you, I'm maybe interpreting it slightly different. One of the guys was saying that he interprets fitness according to a moderate training plan. Mm. And what I take out from that is that fitness isn't necessarily about hardcoreness, for want of a better phrase. It's about being able to, have a healthy attitude towards fitness. And I think that's a very important thing because I think a lot of people, whether you're a, a sort of performance-based sportsman or endurance-based or you know anything from CrossFit to any sort of exercise, there are limits to where fitness becomes goes the other extreme, that you almost become obsessed by what you're doing and therefore fitness becomes unhealthy. Therefore, you are not actually fit. Unhealthily fit. You're unhealthily fit. Mm. Yes, I think that's mm. a better word. And that's what I like about that because I think there's this, there's this, all this perception and there's this reality, particularly amongst sort of A-type personalities in any kind of sport where the harder, the faster, the more, the, the more intensity, the better. But that doesn't necessarily always mean the best. Yeah. And I think I think what you're saying and my thought reading all of your great definitions, folks, thanks for those, is similar and when I listen back to mine from last week is I'm not going to say I made the similar mistake because it's not a mistake but it's a it's a paradigm around fitness that that maybe we have to challenge a little bit and the thing that jumps out to me is that all of us have defined fitness by some ceiling it's yeah. a capacity how far can I go what's the fastest I can cover a distance what's 
again, and as I say, we've got endurance listeners, but if we'd had strength listeners, fitness might be defined as some sort of functional strength. And that would probably also be the heaviest weight I can lift repeatedly, for instance, over six reps or whatever. Yeah. And it's interesting. So we've obviously all got performance mindsets, but fitness is actually more than that. And that's why when I assimilated all the themes from your definitions and thought about it myself, I wanted to try and bend this conversation a little bit more towards adaptability and survival and thriving. And that, and, and for that, I borrow from evolutionary biology because mm. I've described myself in this podcast before as like a Darwinian sports scientist in the sense that I, I believe things work. If things work, they survive. If they don't, they disappear. This, it's a survive. It's it's yeah. um, natural selection of ideas and practices and behaviors. And so here's mine, right? Now you're gonna you're a gonna, drum roll. You're gonna have to <laughs> de-jargonify this. Fitness is the ability of the organism. Now I say organism because I'm gonna give you birds and other animals and stuff to illustrate because this is a characteristic of all living organisms to survive and thrive in response to stress. Okay. Yeah. The result of both acute and chronic adaptation to the stress, which is often imposed by the environment, and which is the result of form and function. Is that gibberish? I, I get that. No, <laughs> I think that's absolutely brilliant. Okay. So fitness, I, what I like about that is that you, 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 it is an evolutionary definition yeah. of fitness, isn't it? That and that's what I'm trying. So, so anyway, that's that's like I'm I'm trying to be I'm trying to be broad and specific mm. at the same time, which could fail horribly. But fitness is the ability of the organism to survive and thrive in response to stress, and is the result of both acute and chronic adaptation to that stress, often imposed by the environment, and which is the result of form and function. Now, the reason I went with so so let's let's just take for instance this issue about survival of the fittest. Charles Darwin proposed evolution, really. He traveled around the world on the HMS Beagle in 1834-5, went around the world, made observations, and developed this theory, which is one of the great scientific theories. Uh, He wasn't the person who specifically proposed survival of the fittest. That was, I think, someone called Spencer or Spencer Herbert. Let me just... uh, Check it out. What we're going to have to do is we're going to have to define a little bit about what acute and chronic fitness is, which we'll do just now while you're looking at that. But it's, it's, yeah, I mean, what I take out from what you're saying, and this is what I love about it, is that we are, we are the, some of that stress that you talk about in terms of being able to to adapt to our environments. If it comes to sport, it's a self-imposed stress to that environment so that we become better at the sport, whether it's surviving out in the floodplains of Ethiopia as a mouse, <laughs> you adapt <laughs> your fitness according to what you have to get through at that time. Correct. So it's and a if, very wide and definition. If you, and if you can't adapt to the mm. change in the environment, you're not fit enough and you die. Yes. That's how the natural world works. Right. And I'll give you I'll give you one of the great examples of that from the Galapagos Islands and the and the finches that Darwin also studied and described. But but anyway, so it was Herbert Spencer who described survival of the fittest, which was basically the observation that when there was an evolutionary episode or stress, an environmental stress applied, animals that were not fit were the ones that became extinct first. And the traits that enabled animals to survive and thus reproduce, because really fitness in evolutionary biology is ability to reproduce. That's how you see this with the virus now, sadly. <laughs> um, mm. Mutations caused fitness in the, in the virus. And... That, so that's 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 what ultimately enables their survival because they are fit. Now, fitness doesn't mean the same thing. So, for instance, small and slow might be fit in some instances, whereas big might be the least desirable thing you'd want for certain circumstances. We'll give you a sports example of that in a moment. But let me tell you the story of the finches. So Darwin observed these birds, and they were unbelievably diverse on the Galapagos Islands. There's a there's a couple now the grants peter and rosemary grant they're biologists they used to be at princeton this was when the article was published and they would go to the galapagos islands and one of the islands called daphne major every single year sometimes twice a year and they studied these finches like intimately we're talking now of probably knowing every bird on that island by name they probably named them <laughs> and they measured the size of their beaks because the beaks were the things that made these finches remarkable from the evolutionary biology story and what the grants started to recognize was that these medium ground finches were able to eat two different types of seeds. 
And the seed that they ate more effectively and more efficiently was dependent on the size of their beak. Makes sense. Yeah. And so they would literally, and this is how remarkable science can be, is the finches, the, the, the grants would literally sit with a stopwatch and they would record how long it took birds to eat certain seeds. And then they would relate the time to the size of the beak. And they discovered that when these birds ate these hard woody seeds called caltrop seeds, if the bird had a big beak, which was to say 11 millimeters at the base, it took them 10 seconds to crack open the seed and eat the inside. 10 seconds for a meal. <laughs> if the beak was 10.5 millimeters, that's half a millimeter smaller, it needed 15 seconds. <laughs> so it took an additional five. And by the time the bird's beak got eight millimeters deep, it couldn't crack it open at all, not strong enough. Uh -huh. So it couldn't eat that seed. Now, the consequence of that normally is benign because that little bird can go and eat some other seeds. But when that island was hit by a significant drought in 1977, all of a sudden, all the soft seeds died out and the only seeds available were the, the hard ones. And so therefore, those little birds that had insufficient beak strength died out mm -hmm. almost within one season. And almost within one year, the average size of the beaks on that island, the birds' beaks on that island, increased by about a millimeter. Wow. And so sure. this was evolution in real time. Yeah. And then a couple of years later, there was a heavy period of rainfall. And now all of a sudden there were abundant soft seeds. And now the little birds with the small beaks can thrive and they can eat more efficiently. They can eat more and quicker. And all of a sudden the average size of the birds' beaks on the island goes down. So the point I'm trying to make is that, and this is why in my definition I spoke about form and function, is because sometimes it's not just about how much have I trained? It's literally who am I? How am I? So basketball players are fit for basketball because of their height. That's form. Just the same way that finches are fit for droughts because they've got bigger beaks. Mm. And if they don't, that evolutionary pressure kills them off. Mm. And so this is the example. So let me give you an athletic example. If the Olympic marathon happens in hot conditions, the smaller athlete will win, all other things being equal. Yeah. Because he is fit for heat. With, through no doing of his own necessarily. But of course, if you know that the Olympic marathon is going to be in hot conditions, you might go and prepare yourself specifically for that stress. So that's an example of, an, of a stress that's imposed by the environment. My form, small size, my function, training, enable me to adapt acutely to that stress and survive and thrive in that hot environment. And that makes me fit on the day. On a cold day, I might not be as fit as I was on a hot day relatively speaking yeah yeah so i mean without laboring your definition too much here let's say that and if i'm understanding it correctly the definition in in to simplify what is not too jargony i have to admit is I'm that relieved thank you whatever stress that we put either imposed or not self-imposed allows us to adapt on our ability to be able to adapt to whatever stress that we put in our bodies willingly or not willingly allows us then to become fit in that space if we take it yes. down to the basics of sport, if you are a swimmer, you have to adapt to the action of swimming and therefore you then become fit in that sport because your body becomes more and more adaptable to be able to swim better. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And and don't forget also, because you, you, I think, very astutely said that we think of fitness always as maximal capacity and so on. Mm. As a 65-year-old who is fit, and again, I'm using fit in my definition, is better prepared to deal with the general stress of life. And that's the fitness. And many of your definitions included basic functions. I just and, and this friend I was talking to who said to me that her definition now is can she just do the daily activities of life competently and quickly and effect effectively. Yeah. So remember that life is a stress. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, when we go out and run a marathon, we're choosing a significantly large stress for a short time. But the stress of doing a 50-hour, 60-hour work week couple times a year, the stress of having kids and being sleep deprived and so forth. Those are similarly stresses and fit people are able to deal with those in a better way. So I don't know whether that helps us move towards a more holistic understanding of fitness. Mm -hmm. And we can certainly go back to that when we discover the components of fitness. But if we then spin it off to the sport, because this is after all the science of sport, you're exactly right. The, the specific training we do imposes a specific stress as we discussed last week our adaptation to the specific stress is also specific yeah and then we start to develop the attributes that are measurable in the fitness test so in that respect 
and, and one of you, and f- sorry for not remembering all the names and linking them to these definitions, one of you spoke about fitness testing, measuring relatively narrow things. Absolutely. That's completely the truth. Um, and, and so what, what we can then assess is an outcome of a behavior. Yeah. And then we can say that person's fit because they have the outcome. But the, the foundation for that is actually what the fitness is. Yeah. And the measurement is really just a proxy or a, a tool to try and screen and detect who has the behavior and yeah. the underlying contributions to it. Yeah. Because fitness, I mean, to some extent, I, I want to just go and move into this space about how we define the different types of fitness that you get. But I guess fitness also is defined by what the base level measurement is. So, yeah. for instance, if you are a cyclist who's been riding for many, many years and you're going and you're riding 10 hours a week or riding seven hours a week, and you go through a period where you're running three to four hours a week, you are relatively unfit to what you formerly were deemed yourself as fit as. But for somebody that had to run for an hour a week is now running four hours a week, they are then fitter than they had been previously. So that yeah. that idea behind fitness is all relative to where your own perceived baseline is. Because I guess fitness is almost a, it's a, it's a how long is a piece of string? Because we, we, we can never be, we can always get fitter, I guess. Some of it is, yeah, I agree. Can can you not? Can you stop being fitter? By definition, you mean you mean? In other words, can you get to a maximum fitness ceiling at any point? Yeah, in fact, I'd probably say do that. And you brought it up earlier: is you you probably get to a fitness ceiling, and then you actually turn in the other direction, and you start getting less fit as you do more training. Yeah, because again, and and like, (laughs) I don't want to keep bringing it back to definition, but the ability to survive and thrive is the result of acute and chronic adaptation to stress. An overtrained athlete loses the ability to adapt to stress. That's right. one of the hallmarks of overtraining. I'm now training so hard. I've done so many 15 to 18 hour training weeks mm. at high intensities that I can no longer tolerate what I used to be able to tolerate. And so mm. I actually start coming off that peak and I get worse. Yeah. And now all of a sudden the same session I used to handle quite easily starts to hurt me and break me and I can't finish the session. It takes me two days to recover instead of the one previously. Yeah. That's that's the sign of someone who is in this functional fitness definition losing fitness because they've actually overshot optimal so much. Yeah. But but what it does do, and, and maybe some of you are thinking, but hang on, now we are conflating definitions because fitness and form and performance and fatigue are all interconnected concepts. And so I've tried to come up with a an all-encompassing definition for fitness that will absorb those things in it. But that's clearly there, right? So um, our capacity, there's there's a general principle of adaptation proposed by a guy called Hans Selye. He was a scientist, biologist, maybe a century ago. And what he'd noticed is that when you expose mice in laboratories to stresses, whether it's cold, starvation, heat, there's a pretty consistent pattern of hormones, behaviors, and eventually survival and death. You know, we all we all get better at first. So we initially, when we have a stress, we get worse. Then we adapt because we have this adaptation energy. Yeah, that's fitness. And the the fitter we are, again, coming back to my definition, the fitter we are, the more like, more capable we are of dealing with that stress. But eventually, that capacity is exceeded, and then we fail and and yeah. and die. But if if you have a healthy I mean, I'm not, again, I don't want to labor this point, but if you, if you have a healthy program of adapting and recovering, is it possible to always become fitter? In other words, we talk about elite athletes who obviously reach the peak, but even elite athletes to say, and I remember doing an interview with Wade Fanica a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we were talking a little bit about when he broke the world record at the 2016 Olympics. And I said to him, do you think you could go sub 43 seconds? And he said, yeah. Yeah, he believes that. Mm. That would make him still, he's the fastest man in, on the one lap in history. He believes he can go faster mm. if he keeps training and adapting and improving his training techniques. In theory, can he keep getting faster and faster until potentially age becomes a factor? Well, here we must also just and, and, and remind ourselves that when we talk about, if, if Wade Fennekirk finds a tenth of a second to run 42.93, um. Has he got forty two nine nine? Well, that's point zero four. That's what he wants. He needs four hundredths to do that. Right. Has he gotten fitter, or has he used the same fitness and found a better performance level? Because there's a dissociation between those that I want to constantly remind us of: is that fitness is not necessarily performance. Right. Performance is an index 
or an indicator of fitness because and and maybe this is where we can get into the components of fitness like what goes into making someone fit but i think you can you can always of course everyone will reach a ceiling i mean history is littered with marathon runners who said i could go faster and never did yeah um so we know we do know there is a limit we, we know that there's a limit within each individual and then it'll take a generation or two for the best of the next generation to break that limit for right. the, for humankind so i i would question whether that's a fitness gain or a performance gain from optimizing this yeah. complex array because this is where it gets really complex is is wait for nickack to to do that would he repeat the same training he did for the year leading into Rio or would he have to make certain changes? Are there elements of his physiological makeup that need to be tweaked slightly? Maybe maybe there are. Maybe he can work on some speed and, and get his 100-meter time down and that unlocks the sub-43. That, that, those are the kinds of performance questions. But those fitness is too crude a term to capture the yeah. nuances that go into answering right. and achieving that is what I'm trying to get yeah. at. I think you've answered my question quite yeah. well, actually, to be honest. Yeah. So let's let's move on to what we define as fitness, elements of fitness. Mm. I mean, we obviously know cardiovascular and, and strength. Uh, what other elements do you think define fitness? So cardiovascular and strength. So, so cardiovascular, in a sports science sense, we can measure things like VO2 max, running economy as indicators of fitness. And we know that if I took a group of 100 people and measured them today on the 7th of June and again in three months' time on the 7th of September, their VO2 max should be significantly higher and we would interpret that as an improvement in the fitness of this group because a key cardiovascular metric has improved. Yeah. But on the health perspective, we can also talk about blood pressure. We can talk about what's your blood pressure throughout the day. A fit person will not see a spike in blood pressure in response to stress, even psychological stress. So cardiovascular fitness could include that. It could include cholesterol levels. It could include um, other markers of, of overall. And then, then, of course, there's metabolic fitness, which would describe um, how, for instance, you use glucose. Are you diabetic? That would be <laughs> the ultimate failure of that particular system. Mm. Uh, your cortisol levels. So there'd, there'd be loads of different metabolic and cardiovascular ones. But for sports science, we, we can frame it as VO2 max. Then strength. Again, in the holistic health world, it must be functional. Can you lift a suitcase off the bed or out of the cupboard, onto the bed, pack it, and then put it in your car when you go on a trip? If you can't do that, then you lack the basic level of fitness for daily life. Oh, and that's can't a, go on a trip. And that's a strength deficit, right? Yes. So that's, a, that's, a, that's where strength becomes relevant for daily living. For an Olympic athlete, strength becomes relevant because it affects injury, it affects performance, and everyone who works in a sport where there is a strength component, rugby, basketball, even all of them actually, all of them have a strength component, will understand that if we assessed strength and you are insufficient left versus right front versus back there's injury risks performance implications and so on so that's why strength becomes a important predictor of performance by virtue of being an element of fitness right okay so that's okay. that's those two um right. then there's a then there's a so I remember reading many years ago they spoke about nine elements of fitness and I've never been able to find this article again um, but they include like aerobic function, which is broadly speaking what we've just been saying, cardiovascular, muscular strength, muscular endurance. So strength is how much weight can I pick up? Endurance is how many times can I pick up a lower weight? Right. Mm. So that's three. Uh, agility, ability to change direction. You watch the French Open, you watch basketball, you watch squash, you watch any of those football coming up, European championships side-to-side -side movement, back-forward, stop, go, accelerate, that's agility. Uh, balance, coordination, anaerobic capacity. Which I was going to say maximal effort capacity. Yeah, and that's one that they, they, they assess that in children very often as an indicator of the overall health of kids. <laughs> How do they do that? They would do one of a few different tests. There are, there's a 40-meter sprint test. There's a 10-meter test that you would do with younger kids and then repeat that four times. Mm. And you basically just measure performance. And in a, in a large enough population, if the performance is, let's say, it takes them eight seconds to run 40 meters and 2.1 to run 10, in theory, 
in 10 years time you can compare that group to this group and ask whether kids are generally fitter or not are they no (laughs) take a guess to digress I mean, I suppose you have to be careful of uh, pop culture around here, but I guess with all the TV and all the video games, the kids are probably not as fit as they used to be in terms of those tests. Yeah, there's a study on this. It can, yeah. it can, is a little bit dated. It was published in 2007, so it only runs up to about 2003. I've got no reason to think that the last 18 years will buck the trend, mm-hmm. but basically they looked at 25 million fitness tests for aerobic performance so that's that's not maximum capacity now for sprints and stuff this is mm-hmm. they'll do a, a one mile run or a 600 meter run or a 12 minute test to see how far you can go that's typically what they do and it's really interesting between 19 the late 50s and the 1970 the performance got better mm-hmm. so kids were getting better at doing these aerobic runs this is six to 18 year olds by the right. way and then from 1970 onwards, it starts getting worse and worse and worse. And the end result is that over the 45 years, there's a an average drop of 0.3% per year. Wow. So it drops by about 35 to 5, uh, 4% per decade, which is pretty significant. So it's exactly as you'd surmise. Kids are getting less fit. And also coincides with the uh, arrival of... The, the, the sort of fast food revolution back then, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, terrifying. Urbanization happened, especially in the in the North America after World War II. Mm. You had movement of people into cities, public transport and cars became more accessible, and then television. So mm. I don't think it's rocket scientists to surmise. There's probably a few complex interplays, but the the conclusion of this particular paper is this decline may result from a network of social, behavioral, physical, psychosocial, and physiological factors, which is classic academic non It's fascinating to see how that's changed uh, since 2003. It would be really interesting. I hope they update that test at some point. Uh, if I had to guess, yeah. I'd say that 0.36 has probably accelerated as a decline. Yeah. I'd be surprised if it's not faster So now kids are less fit. Exactly, probably. and they're less fit, interestingly, aerobically. Anaerobically, they found no difference, um, okay. which is quite interesting. Right. So there's a, they called it a precipitous decline in pediatric aerobic performance since 1970. Sure. But the anaerobic, interestingly, doesn't change. And that's quite interesting because anaerobic, if you think about the test, it's like a 10-meter t- sprint yeah. repeated four times, whereas the aerobic is a mile run. I mean, if you took... 50 kids and you said do the mile run i reckon 30 of them wouldn't make it yeah and half <laughs> half of them wouldn't would have to yeah. walk half of it yeah yeah, they, yeah. It, would, it would take them 15 minutes to do right. a, a kilometer whereas i th- so i think the aerobic is a function more of lifestyle and general health and activity whereas anaerobic i think 10 meters you can get off the couch and do a decent 10 if you have the necessary muscular and metabolic system for it so yeah it's interesting that says that suggests to me it's a behavioral thing that's making the world less fit and i suspect by the way adults will be the same i mean it's it's inconceivable to me that adults are fitter today than they were 20 years ago and 50 years ago Mm. is it also possible to define fitness as also neurological um element because I was watching a television show the other day and they were talking about about how the human body particularly adapts to stresses. And one of the things it does in exercise is that when you get to a point of, um, for instance, doing strength training, mm. what adapts first is your 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 um, um, nerve system mm-hmm. and you're able to push bigger weights even though your muscles haven't got stronger. Right. So fitness in your neurological systems would obviously be a factor in performance, but also a factor in health would be. yeah exactly yeah. exactly and that's why that's why it's so encouraging if you can get people to just go in and do these functional tasks lift something you're not going to mm. get big before you get better you actually get stronger long before you get the muscle changes at the structural level that's so, because your nerves start adapting to the stress yeah you yeah. improve your coordination your timing yeah. your ability to recruit muscles goes up simply through practice mm. because you may not think of it as that, but lifting a weight is to some degree a skill. I mean, it's a basic skill, but it still requires a signal from the brain to the muscle, feedback from the muscle back to the brain, interpretation, contextualization. Yeah. So, of course, if fitness, again, is your ability to adapt and respond to a stress, perform a task, in this instance, the stress is lifting a weight and fitness gains through the neuromuscular component is part of that. So... When we talk about those elements, and I could only remember eight or nine, seven or eight of the nine, but hopefully that gives you the picture. We 
we can include among them neuro, neurological, neuromuscular components. And that's where coordination, agility, balance, in fact, it's foolish to even say, list them. All, all those elements have a neurological component. Yeah. Even sprinting and cardiovascular components. So, yeah. of course, this is part of training to get fitter and then improve performance. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, just you touched on very briefly. Um, on your definition, acute versus chronic mm. stress. Just to find what those mean, and maybe we can then move on to the kind of fitness tests that we all know around military tests and that sort of thing. But just to find what acute versus chronic stress is. Yeah, so it's, they, they, they differ by time. So acute means short term and chronic means longer term. And so like, let's, let's take a stress. I mean, whether you want to talk about the finches that I <laughs> told you about earlier, the acute stress is a drought, which lasts for three months. A chronic stress would be a drought that lasts for two years. <laughs> yeah. In a training sense, for an athlete, an acute stress is a race at altitude. A chronic stress would be an altitude camp that lasts three or four weeks. Right. So it's the same stress, but just prolonged. Now, training is, can be viewed the same way. A hard interval session or a long ride or run or a very intense weight session in the gym is an acute training stress but it exists within a global picture of chronic training stress because it's not like you do one of them a year. So if you are training regularly, you've got a foundation of fitness. Okay, we, <laughs> we're using the word again with my definition. We've got a foundation of earned form and function, especially earned function. And that's built up over a long time. And then on top of that, we put the acute stress. Now, logically... If someone is highly trained and consistently trained for a very long period, an acute stress that is larger is more easy for them to deal with than if they were undertrained. That makes sense, right? Yeah. So the relative size of these acute and chronic stresses is what scientists often try to use to quantify training load, form, fatigue, and freshness. And many of you who use software that monitors your training and Strava for instance has this function if you're a premium member I use a stages um, bike computer and their software does the same thing I'm 99.9% sure training peaks will have a similar model is they will give you a fitness score they'll give you a form score and they'll give you a freshness score yeah. and all they are doing to, to get those is they are playing off chronic load against acute load so Acute load, how much have you done very recently? Strava uses seven days. Yeah. Chronic load, how much have you done over a further period back? Strava uses 42 days, so six weeks. So chronic acute is basically the ratio of... So the acute is weighted differently to the chronic? Yes, it has a different weighting because right. it's literally the last week yeah. only. Yeah. So let's say... Let me, In other words, it counts for more in that final assessment. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the one is the the one is the numerator, and the other one's the denominator. Right. But because the acute one is made up of only seven data points, and the chronic one is made up of forty-two, what you do more recently has a bigger bearing on the overall than what you did five weeks ago. Right. That, that makes sense. Yeah. So the principle that they're using. Let, let me give you examples. Let's say let's say your training is quite monotonous, which I wouldn't advise, and you do a hundred training units a day. Now. How do we measure training units? Duration and intensity. So Strava, for instance, has an algorithm that works out how many minutes you spend in each of your target heart rate zones, which you can either tell it or it guesstimates for you based on the old max heart rate and then zones as a percentage of those. So when you do your Strava ride, it says relative effort 347. That's a hard day. 121 is an easy for easier day, right? Yeah. it's basically going to add all those up over a period of 42 days and work out the average. Right. And then it's going to do the same thing over seven days. 
right? That's the acute part and the chronic part. So let's say you do 100 a day for 35 days. And then in the seventh week, sixth, sixth week, you do 200 a day. Now all of a sudden, your acute average load is 200, but your chronic load is only just a little bit above 100 because right. it was five weeks of 100 and one week of 200. Make sense? Right. That's going to look to Strava like a highly fatigued athlete because their acute is very high and their chronic is relatively lower. Right. And so Strava will give you a fitness score, it'll give you a very poor freshness score, and it'll give you a very low form score because form is the difference between fitness and freshness. Right. Does, that, does all this make sense? I yes. So, I mean, if you haven't used Strava, you're probably sitting there going like, what? Yeah. But what, what's important about it is not necessarily whether you use Strava or not. It's about how, it's exactly. how those, exactly. and not only Strava, other training plans yeah. define fitness is load versus recovery, doesn't and, it? And you can do it for yourself. Like if you mm. go to the gym and you never measure heart rate, you never measure anything, you can basically just say, how many minutes? And out of 10, what was my perception of effort? So I trained yeah. for 50 minutes and it was a 7 out of 10. The training unit today, 350. Right. Tomorrow I'm going to do 60 minutes at 5, 300. Wednesday, huh. I'm going to do 45 minutes at 10, 4.50. Of course. And you, you can basically just keep an Excel document of this yeah. and work out my average in the last seven days is 300 training units. My average in the last seven, six weeks is 250 training units. And so in the last week, I've done relatively more than I'd done in the yeah, last that's brilliant. six weeks. Wow. So that's, yeah. that's the tool. And this is used widely, right? I mean, like in team sports, there's this concept. It is disputed. It was proposed initially by an Australian guy called Tim Gabbett, who, who basically said that the acute chronic ratio would be a significant injury predictor. So, and he, he used one week, three weeks, right? So instead of Strava using one week, six weeks, he was one, three. And he was basically saying that if, a, if an athlete, AFL, rugby league, rugby union, football, whatever, were to do too much acute training such that acute was more than 10% higher than chronic, that athlete would have an increased risk of injury. And interestingly enough, if the acute drops so that you do much less training in the last week compared to the last three weeks, you'd also have an increased risk of injury sure. because you're not, you're not keeping the stimulus going. So that is, that's disputed. So I mean, I don't want to get into the, the debate and the argument about that. It's hotly disputed. I don't think there's really evidence for it. But the principle is the same. It's that you can, you can assess the relative fatigue and the fitness by looking at what have I done recently relative to what have I done over a longer period. Conceptually, But also sense. versus re your recovery, doesn't it? I mean, recovery is an important part of that well, level of fitness because you're not getting fitter if you haven't recovered from the effort. Right. So then and recovery means two things. It means how often do I rest? And a rest day is a training load of zero. Yeah. So if I do six days in a row of 100 and then a day of zero... Now I've accumulated 600 units that week. My average is going to be 86 points, whatever. Right? right. If I don't rest at all, I drive my workload over the last week too high. So recovery is a function of have I rested sufficiently? But then it's also a function of when, when I don't rest, have I done all the other things? Is the diet okay? Am I sleeping okay? Am I doing all the necessary little um, peripheral things that will improve recovery. That's not quantifiable in this model. Right. This model only cares about training load, recent versus long term, and what's the okay. ratio between them. I always thought that recovery was part of that definition purely because you know the recovery in a, in a performance athletic sense is part of how you get fitter. Um, purely because without recovery, there isn't. A fitness game. And it is part of that. Yeah. It is part yeah. of that in the sense, like I say, that when you take rest days at the right time and in the right amounts, frequencies, yeah. then your if you want to play this numbers game, your 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 training loads change. And so for instance, let's say you're coming up to a big event and you've done a really good base over the last three months. Your chronic training, which Strava uses forty two days, stages by the way, use twenty eight. I've changed it to twenty one because I think 28 is too long. I think 42 is too long as well. Um, but anyway, so you're, you've done three good months of training. Your block has been good. Your chronic training base is high. Now, your acute load, as you get closer to the event, is going to come down because you're going to taper. Right. And so I'm going to reduce my training load. So instead of doing 
150 units a day, I'm going to do 120 units a day, bringing it down 80, 60, 40 race day. Yeah. What what the ratio is going to do is going to show you that acutely I'm undertrained relative to chronic, and my form goes up because the form is the difference between the two. Because I'll achieve high levels of freshness on top of high levels of fitness. Right. Make sense? Yeah. And so yeah. form is high. Yeah. And that's yeah. So that's the principle, and they're all doing the same thing with slightly different tweaks and nuances and so on. And I mean, you can go into massive detail. Is like, do you wait? historical training linearly is a session i did six weeks ago worth as much to my fitness as a session i did 10 days ago of course not yeah so you should in theory treat them exponentially like they the value of a training session decays more as as you move further away whereas this model doesn't do that so yeah. anyway there's nuance and technical yeah. stuff not worth oh, getting into but you get the principle yeah. absolutely because i think it's all about us you know for those that are interested in sport and your own health and fitness um, you know, defining what those parameters are are important for because I often find that one thing about recovery and fitness in general is that you tend to feel that fitness yourself. You know when you're getting fit, you know mm. when you're overtrained. Mm. You know, people always say it's nice to look at a spreadsheet or see a number, and that's why all these training plans have those things that help you define it. But it's very easy to often work out yourself, you know, all the signs of overtraining and that sort of thing and you know how to get fitter the, yeah. the more you train the, and then the, and the great get the recovery right you feel your performance goes up you know you're getting fitter relative yeah. to where you were previously yeah and, and you know what people do the mistake people do with strava and with training peaks and all is they only look at fitness yeah because the problem with the, the problem with measuring fitness is let's say for for the next month i deliberately just go out and smash myself i overtrain myself to death just about i do 300 training units every single day for a month my fitness score is going to go through the roof. My fatigue score is going to be like also super high. My form is going to be in the basement. Right. But my fitness is going to be really high. And then in July, I start bringing it back down to sensible levels. Strava is going to tell me I'm getting less fit. Yes. And people panic and they say, oh, but the only way I can keep my fitness score high is to just keep training like keep an animal. Harder and harder. And I'm gonna, yeah, exactly. So if you, if you don't understand the interplay between fitness and form and, perform, and freshness yeah. and, you, and you overvalue Strava or whatever, pick your, pick your software, you overvalue their fitness score, that's a recipe for disaster. So the, the principle we're trying to explain here is recent is going to be the thing that determines how fresh you are. Longer term determines fitness, and it's the relationship between those, not the actual value. Okay, that that makes the ah, difference. some good service uh, journalism there for our listeners yeah. to that. Absolutely. Yeah. The easiest way to think about this, by the way, is if you took if you took Kipchoge at the finish line of a marathon, or you took Bernal at the finish line of the the summit climb to whichever climb they finished the last day in the Jira, and you said go down to the bottom and do it again, there's no way. Yeah. But he's not unfit. His fitness is the same, if not better. But his performance capacity is nowhere. And so the, the point I'm making... and it's well, probably because he's fatigued. Yeah, the point I'm yes. making, it's obvious one, is that there's a massive dissociation you, yeah. between performance and fitness. And so that's where, like when Adrian says, if you run a 305 marathon um, when your target was three, mm. that's an indication of not having fitness. That's often true, but not always. Because you could have the fitness to run a th- sub-three but you got the fatigue component yes. and the freshness yeah. and that's that's you got the taper wrong exactly yeah. and coming back to all the all the structure of the the program that you didn't you didn't give yourself enough of the the right elements of fitness so you could have overall fitness but not specific fitness yeah but that comes back to wade for nickack is is that the, the ability to go sub 43 or the ability for anyone to go faster than they've ever done before may not be a function of fitness right. it might be I a get function that now, of freshness yeah yeah, yeah. So let's move on to some of the fun stuff around fitness. And of course, probably the the, the most famous tests around fitness are to do with the military. And uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I did uh, the British military fitness classes here in Cape Town, where you would go down to the promenade and some guy would shout at you in a, a very English uh, accent and you'd be doing burpees and push-ups and uh, to be honest with you I didn't particularly enjoy it it's not my kind of exercise but yeah. let's talk a little bit about those tests so everybody knows about the, the military tests what, what are the classics out there and, and what are they what are they what are they test and what are they mm, so it's worth it's worth just thinking taking half a step back and saying why do they do them now obviously yeah. they do them because they don't want to enroll and promote people who just lack the physical capacities for what is often literally battle. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it, life or death. It, it, it could well be. Um, 
So they have they have minimum standards that people have to achieve in order to be considered competent or very good. And I suppose, I mean, I don't know enough about this to say with authority, but th they must wait those to say like all things being equal, the fitter person and so on is going to be the one who's promoted and get the good assignments and tasks. Well, also the one most likely to be better in battle, I suppose. That's why. Yeah. Right? So there's yeah. got to be some kind of relationship between your ability to perform these tasks. Now, we're not talking here about those boot camps they put those Navy SEALs through in their final qualifying school. Those those things are really just, a, you, you want to talk about survival of the fittest. That's literally what they're doing. They're mm. exposing 50 people and picking three. Yeah. Um, and literally, it's last man standing stuff. You know, I'm sure you've all seen movies where yes. I'm not Hell sure. Week. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. But there's a, there are all these other pre-screening fitness tests. And one thing just to point out is that there's a document. It's it's a classic military document by the U.S. Air Force that I'm looking at, and they they actually explicitly say that part of the reason for fitness is health, which is interesting because I'll give you some scores in a moment. But they they basically say that based on your scores you're assigned to a health risk category okay and the point i'm raising this is to say that you might think that the only reason they do this is performance but they're also doing it for health reasons that's why they measure the um, abdominal circumference because if you have too large an abdominal circumference you are a health risk that's biologically true similarly if your running performance is too low you are at risk of cardiovascular complications and they want to know that for that reason as well right. not just performance so the way they do it is there are four tests, basically. There's a cardiorespiratory endurance test where they run 1.5 miles. It's 2.414 meters, uh, kilometers. Kilometers. Yeah. kilometers. Um, they do a body composition test, which really is just the abdominal circumference. Interestingly, they don't do BMI and all body fat and all that stuff. And then they do muscle fitness. This is what they call it, which is a one-minute test for maximum number of push-ups and one minute for maximum number of sit-ups. Your maximum score in the running test is 60, so you get 60 points if you achieve the best possible time. Yep. You get 20 points if your abdominal circumference is the lowest possible value, so then that's 80, and then 10 each for push-ups. So you can score 100 out of 100 if you are top of the charts in everything, or you can score zero <laughs> out of 100. And basically they say that if you want to be in our system, you've got to score 75 or more excellent is 90 satisfactory is 75 to 89 and anything less than 75 is unsatisfactory so the cardiovascular component being 60 of those points is, is quite heavily weighted towards that isn't it yeah and that's so by their definition cardiovascular is the dominant measure of fitness right and right. that's probably because it's a general more all-encompassing non-specific thing of fitness you know push-ups you know you could probably become really really good at push-ups and not be fit Right, but running one and a mm. half miles, okay, doesn't mean you're strong. It doesn't mean you're agile, but it's probably a better predictor than others. So, okay. you want to know some targets? Yes, please. If you're listening <laughs> to this and you are a male under the age of thirty, you have to do the one and a half mile run in under nine twelve to be classified as sixty out of sixty. Nine minutes that's twelve your, seconds. That's yeah. your best performance. If you want to be kind of moderate, you have to do twelve and a half to twelve fifty. Okay. That's 2.4 Ks and 12 and a half. So that's five minutes a K, I suppose. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. That's for the moderate one. That's moderate risk. But for the performers, they're doing well underneath for 20 a K. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 9.12 for yeah. 2.4 is 3.48, 349 yeah, a K. That's, yeah. That's what you've got to do there. That's so pretty that, quick. As you get older, the targets get easier, not logically. So 30 to 39 year olds have to do a 9.34 instead of a 9.12. By the time we get up to 50 to 59. Yeah, that's me. 10.37. Okay. So for 2.4 kilometers, 10.37. Making a note here. I think that works out to 5.24 per kilometer. Should be able to do that. So that's your target to get the best possible score. To be classified somewhere in the middle, you need to run 15 minutes. Right. Which works out to around 6 minutes a K. Okay. That would put you in the moderate risk, medium category. You get you get 48 out of 60. I'll see you at the running track tomorrow. Let's do it. What's your target? Uh, 40 to 49. So that's 9.45 to be excellent and 13.37 to be moderate. Where would you back yourself there? For 2.4? <laughs> I reckon I could run in... I, I, I think I'd go under 9.45. Under 9.45? Yeah. Ah. 
Yeah, yeah. I hope so. I think we're going to have to do this. You know that. <laughs> I think what we'll do is we'll take our, our phones with us or our recording <laughs> devices, and when we're about halfway through, we can describe what it feels like to be going at that at that best pace for two point four, because it would be a very interesting. A topic, and, and those that of you are listening, if you have done a two point four mile run, 1. sorry, two, mile. sorry, one point five yeah. mile, two point four kilometer yeah. run, um, let us know what your time is. It would be interesting to see from our, particularly our patron supporters, about what the average sort of time is and how fit we all are I, you know, on I that would, measure. I'd reckon that our our patron will be outperforming the Air Force. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. I, I think so. I think most of our Many of our patrons would be better than this. Uh, let's just talk some of the women's standards because they obviously have those as well. Under yep. 30, your target for an excellent score is 10.23. So that's about a minute slower than for the men, 10% more or less. They give the, the, the difference between the women's and the men's standards is, as you'd expect, around 10% difference. That's the difference between male and female, as we have discussed on this podcast. Moderate um, for a th- under 30-year-old female is between 14.50 and 15.20. So... Around six minutes a K would put you in the moderate category. And then as you get older, typically it goes up. So for instance, 40 to 49, you need an 11.22 to be excellent. And you need a 16.30 to be moderate. So the, 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 the difference drops off quite significantly. I mean, the difference between 11.22 and 16 over 1.5 over 1. miles is massive. Yeah. Anyways, so what's, yeah. what's, what's really interesting about that, and, and I'm going to throw it out there just for debate, is that this fitness test, no matter what sport you're involved in, no what activity you're involved in, it is actually fairly a fairly good test of overall fitness, whether you're a cyclist or a or a runner oh. or a, is it? I mean, is it fair to say that you that being able to do have a medium result here? Is a is a fair assessment of how fit you should be. In other words, if you if you can't get close to his number, you would be regarded as unfit. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But you must remember, and this is true for all the listeners, because you're probably listening to this and going like, "Wow, fifteen minutes to be average! Like this is that's easy. Yeah. I could speed walk that." Right. Which is true because we are dealing with this. We're dealing with the cream on the top here of the yes. cappuccino. Well, we hope and, we're all nodding your heads, going <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then you're probably thinking scornfully, like, "How can anyone not hit those?" But right. you see, what we don't realize is like confirmation bias. You're surrounded by, and you know, people who are actually in the top ten percent. Right. And uh, when you start really looking at the at the performances, I mean, look at women aged thirty to thirty nine. They they cater for time slower than twenty minutes. Yeah, for two point four k's. That's that's not quick, but that's that's yeah. the reason they cater for it is because yeah. that's the general population's yeah. level. Like you'll see that there'll be a, a normal distribution of performances. Yeah. In the Look, whole I know population. a lot of people who would battle to do two point four exactly. kilometers and exactly. under twenty minutes. Absolutely right. So the message so, yeah. is: don't be yes too cocky. Don't because, be elitist. Yeah. <laughs> Coming back to your your question. Um, of course, a cyclist is going to underperform in this compared to a runner because it's specific. And the, the, the principle of specificity says that if you gave a cyclist a cycling task, he's going to do well. And a running yeah. task, he might do average. Yeah. But there is, there is without doubt like a transferability of certain elements of fitness. And so cycling is heart, lungs, and muscle strength. Those same elements make running performance. But running performance also has impact eccentric muscle contraction tendons and that's why there are some cyclists who've tried running and they are absolutely dreadful at it yes it's true (laughs) Um, like they just the other way around tends to be better doesn't it yeah runners have to become good cyclists yeah Yeah. whereas and then the reason for that is who's that um pro cyclist uh, Woods, Michael Woods. Michael Woods, um, yes. that's right. There we go. Was he, was a, he was he was sub, a well, sub four miler. Sub four miler, yeah. Which puts you in the top one tenth of well, one thousandth of a percent among humans. I would have thought for yeah. milers, um, if you can break four. So, yeah. So, and the reason for that is that the the eccentric component of running, when you land and your tendons have to store energy and then give it back to you, that is so specific that running just does not prepare you for that. There are some other differences. Cycling doesn't prepare you for that. Sorry, yeah, yes, yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah, cycling. So anyway, that's that's the running performances. Now, Interesting. Um, on the muscle fitness side, if you are, let's go back to the, the men's side here. If you're the, the youngest, healthiest category, you would be able to do 67 push-ups in one minute. That's That's oh. tough. I'm not. I'm, I wouldn't commit to doing half that. <laughs> okay, that's proper. Yeah. So, that's under thirty. Over. Yeah, that's just over a, a second per push-up. Yeah. 
Under. You've got to do sorry, more, under. Yeah, sorry. More than yes, a push-up yes. a second. You've got to do more than a push-up a second. Uh, in my category, I need 44 push-ups in a minute to score 10 out of 10. Right. You need... I'm roughly the same, I 40, think. 44. Um, in order to score average, I need 30. You would need uh, 26. Yeah. would give you an average push-up I'd score. back myself to be a slightly above average there. Yeah. It, it would... <laughs> it would depend for me. It I'm might depend the on the on the um, strictness of the person counting yes. them because yes. I can foresee by 45 seconds I'm doing all kinds of contortions <laughs> to get them done. Form has been lost. Um, women, women, 30 to 39. Naturally, it drops. Remember, the men was 67. Women is 47. Gives right. you 10 out of 10. Uh, mediocre is 20. Uh, not mediocre. Middle would be 29 in one minute. And then by the time we get to say 50 year old woman, they need. Uh, 35 in a minute which is good going for 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 that age and then 17 or so would put you in the middle so yeah that's that's where it is and then sit-ups very similar um 67 per minute for men under 30 huh sorry 58 my bad read the wrong column 58 for men under 30 uh my target is 50 your target is 46 right so, so we're going to do the run, we might as well do the other one. And yeah. No, I think we're going to have to do this in the next couple of weeks. We'll be very <laughs> stiff the next day. I'm going to get my carbon give... running shoes out. And see, <laughs> yes. see, they don't have an... So then the funny thing about this also, the Air Force is based in Colorado Springs. So they have an adjustment table for altitude because they would tend to do these there. And we'll do the um, carbon shoe adjustment. Right. <laughs> yeah, so that's what they the, do. I and mean, then... I imagine these tests were not developed when carbon shoes were around, but I also can't imagine that the British tests would no, include sure carbon they. shoes. I'm sure they all have the same boots. There's probably a guideline for that. This that's the thing. Are, so... they, are, are they doing those tests in army boots? I, I suppose I, they yeah, are, aren't they? If I don't know. We don't know. If they are, then, somebody then knows that, they I take tell back us. what I said earlier about my ability to do it, because that know. would not go well. Different story um, in boots. They have guidelines for everything. I mean, it's so funny. They've got, for instance, here guidelines on how to judge the conditions for the run and they say no significant drain as defined as measurable at greater than or equal to 0.1 of an inch per hour so they've got very specific instructions about how to do this <laughs> so we'd have to um, check it out wind you see wind would affect us how deep is the puddle <laughs> exactly they've told you 0.1 inch per hour <laughs> anyways yeah so that's there the air go. force the, the navy is pretty similar they've got entry requirements this is obviously as we said not for selection into SEAL teams, but this is just your entry screening scores. They do a two-minute push-up test. You have to do 79 push-ups in two minutes. So that's a fatigue. That's the SEALs. So they've obviously... See, so why would that be two in the Air Force One is because the SEALs have worked out that fatigue is a significant thing and we want wow. to measure it. Uh, how fatigue resistant are you? So they do that. They still do a 1.5 mile run, similar targets. Sure. Mm. Interesting. So to just wrap things up a little bit, um, it's been a really fascinating conversation because it's one of those topics where we kind of looked at this and thought, you know, how do we define this very broad general topic? And I think we've got, a, I've certainly got a better sense of what I def, what I can define as fitness. Just as a complete aside, I remember a few years ago, um, I was joined a company, um, oh, and I say a few years ago, it's almost, almost 20 years ago. But in that company, there was a there was a thing called the uh, I think it was called the the Touchline Challenge, and the Touchline <laughs> Challenge was was the two point four kilometer run. It was a kilogram of steak and six beers. But I think it was the beers it was the beers and then the steak and then the run. That was the different. That was the 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 sort of order of which you had to do it. And those who were deemed the fittest were obviously those that could drink and eat really well, but then also go for the run afterwards. So the big guys. <laughs> would struggle on the run, but obviously the smaller guys couldn't eat and drink as fast. I'm sure that's not a very good definition of fitness at all, but it certainly was an interesting challenge. But I it mean, fits it, perfectly my definition because it does, it's, actually, the, it's the ability of the organism adapt. to survive and thrive <laughs> in response to stress. In this case, the stress comes after the fourth beer yes. and the third bite of a one kilogram steak, <laughs> and then you have to run on top of it. And so the people who succeed are obviously well adapted chronically to eating, drinking. Yes. Well, let's. Do, I mean, we could talk about this probably for another hour. I mean, those guys that do the beer mile of incredible athletes, those yeah. guys talk about being able to adapt to a certain specific fitness. They can drink, um, what's it, four, how does the beer mile work? It's like four beers and a, a beer a lap. A beer yeah. a lap, so a four laps. A can of beer per lap. There we go. An amazing thing there is the guys who do that best barely slow down. Yeah. Their, their, their beer mile time is very close to their 
one mile running time. <laughs> so the beer actually isn't a, a significant beer deterrent. Isn't stressful enough. It needs Incredible, to be a one liter of beer per lap, and then it would be a challenge for them. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so all, so that, it's all about adaptation. So they're yeah. fit for that task. That's what it boils down to. So yeah, hopefully everyone's now understands a little about form and uh. function, and that fitness is. More, more complex than just the state of being fit, as the dictionary says. Yeah. Mm. And often we know within ourselves when we are fit to do what we want to do and not fit when we're not, when we're not performing as much as we want. And I, I, I was a good example of somebody saying that just being able to, for some people who have had children, um, for moms to be able to pick up their child mm. and to be able to be functionally fit and strong enough to do that is sometimes just a, an element of fitness that we forget. Not being able to do that is is not great um so being able to be fit and strong and whether you're doing a triathlon or running a long race or a marathon or just being able to do daily functions functional fitness and functional strength is obviously a big part of how valuable and how enjoyable our lives can be yeah and i would say i mean we've given you lots of information about things like strava training peak stages which many of you may never use um but the the principle there is applicable is there's a standardized task and if you can do it, you have sufficient fitness for that task. And so that's literally for all the numbers and all the analysis and yeah. the nuances we've discussed, that's basically what it boils down to. But yeah. always just remember that if you're training, it's not just about fitness. It's about freshness and fatigue. Same thing, effectively, one's the inverse of the other. And then form. So yeah, hopefully that equips you to apply certain things. Yeah, It was interesting because... Fitness is both extremely basic and extremely complex. Yeah. And I wasn't sure how we would, which direction we'd go, but hopefully it's given everyone. Well, hopefully we've, yeah, we've helped you a bit with that definition. A big thank you to our patrons on Patreon. Don't forget you can support us on our Patreon page. You just go into patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and look for the science of sport, and you'll be able to spot us out there, and uh, you can support us across different levels. And our patrons are very involved in our podcast. A big thank you to you guys for your very good definitions of fitness. I certainly was suitably impressed by some of those definitions uh, but from us for now it's goodbye thank you for listening to the science of sport podcast follow us on twitter at sports and on instagram at science of sport podcast Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.